0: Before we get into today's message, I wanted to uh, just share a quick reminder that the deadline to apply for the Beulah Training Institute is tomorrow. Uh, Now, the Beulah Training Institute, I'm not gonna go through all the details in and around that. You can go to beulah.family or beulah.ca slash bti to learn more about that. But just a couple quick notes before we get into the message. The Beulah Training Institute is uh, a two-year program where at the end of it you're gonna receive an accredited certificate of leadership from Ambrose. It's a partnership between our university and us and it's really an opportunity to to dig deeper in theology, in the Bible, in leadership. Uh, There are gonna be courses taught both by Ambrose faculty and Beulah pastors. Uh, Lots of different experience. The commitments are Monday evening and there's a few other pieces throughout the year and and the cost is about $75 a month. Uh, Now, that in comparison, the value is seven. If you were to um, receive the Certificate of Leadership directly through Ambrose, the cost would be over $7,000. So Beulah is heavily subsidizing it because we want to make theological education and just... um, I want to provide an opportunity for us to just dig deeper into the word and in theology and have a a deeper foundation in our faith. So that's the reason and around this, uh, you can learn all about it by going on the website or if you want to talk to someone about it, you can go out to our Welcome Center after the service or just write BTI on the Connect card in front of you and hand that in and we'll definitely get in touch with you to tell you more about it. All right, so that's tomorrow. Okay, so as we get into today's message, I wanna take us back to 2020 for a couple of minutes. Don't worry, Uh, there's a reason for it, uh, and I promise it won't take long. Okay, so think back to the beginning of 2020. Do you remember how confused we all were? Like the thought of cruise ships being stranded and not being allowed to dock, we're like, what's going on? And then travel bans, and after that, stock markets plummeting, and then Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson on Instagram, you know, sharing that they got this thing called COVID, and we're like, what is happening? The NBA and the NHL season getting suspended. Uh, Minor hockey, cancelled. The Juno Awards, cancelled schools closing down and then deciding to go online, Uh, provinces declaring states of emergency, the U.S.-Canada border closing down, and then everything, like all of life seeming to then go online. The week things closed down, I was in Omaha, Nebraska, speaking at a Christian college on my latest book, and I still remember how dismal the attendance was, and when I asked the organizers what happened, they were like, well, uh, there's this large church in the area, and there are a few people that got sick, and they were afraid of exposing other people, and we're like, what are you talking about? Exposing? At that time, literally, I had no, like I couldn't comprehend the extent of what was about to happen, what we were all about to experience, And then here at Beulah, right, uh, we had just finished a series called Redeem the Screen where we were talking about all the subtle ways that screens and technology affect our faith and life. And then that very weekend that all this was going down, I actually preached on how Jesus was our good shepherd who in the midst of fear, anxiety, loss of control, massive uncertainty, how he knows exactly what's going on and how he will always provide for us, because he is our shepherd and we are his sheep. Friends, that was two and a half years ago. Like two and a half years ago. Like, Doesn't that feel like a horrible nightmare? <laughs> like it's crazy to think about all that's happened in these last couple of years, and, and you know, before the pandemic, if you were to have gone to some friends or family or, or cowork- your coworkers and, and you were to have asked them, "Hey, uh, if you could sum up kind of the tone and, and and feeling of our culture today, you were to sum that up using one word," this is before the pandemic. Don't you think the word "divided" still would have come up? I mean, I know that's a word that we would probably say today, but I think we would have said that before the pandemic, too. Why? Well, it's because this culture that we are living in is constantly discipling us. I mean, we're being discipled through our news and politics and YouTube and social media whose algorithm seems to favor the controversial, the splashy, and the outrageous. So the end result is that the virtues of our culture, you know, if I could use that phrase, the virtues of our culture, which would be consumerism, individualism, convenience, we're being discipled in these virtues. And as a result, it's kind of seeping into the nooks and crannies of our lives, of our faith, of our thinking, isn't it? I mean, just consider last week how we talked about worship and how we often make worship more about us and our preferences than about God. Like, where did we learn that from? The Bible doesn't talk about that, (laughs) right? Jesus doesn't say that's the way to worship. So then, who's discipled us to view worship in that way. So when it comes to the virtues of our culture, consumerism, individualism, convenience, what do you believe? If you were to kind of plot it out on a spectrum, right, a large spectrum like this, where would you land? When you make decisions, do you make a decision based on what's good for you and how that decision benefits you or how it benefits the collective? or the common good? What do you favor more? Or how about this, when making um, a decision, do you value more being able to make your own choice and the freedom to make your own choice, or do you value someone, um, an expert, or someone in authority and leadership over you making that decision for you? What would you rather? Or how about this, at a higher cost, Would you rather be able to buy what you want and get it when you want it? Or at a lower cost, having a smaller selection of options, uh, and it taking a little bit longer to get it? How you answered these questions reveals your level of discipleship to our culture's opinion and views on consumerism, individualism, and convenience. So if that's what you believe, I guess the next question is, why do you believe what you believe? Right, why do you believe, how, why do you answer the way that you did? Is it, is it because your parents raised you to think that way? Or maybe it's because that's how your favorite political party leans toward, or leader leans toward, so that's why you answered that way. Or maybe it's your education or, or, or your favorite news commentator or political leader or, or influencer, right? They're the, they, they believe that, so that's why you have those views. Or maybe it's just because the girl or the guy that you like believes that and you're just <laughs> wanting to please them in that way. Right? Why do you believe what you believe? Is it because of all of that or is it because Jesus said this? and you're following his way. I mean, have you thought about what Jesus might have to say about consumerism, individualism, and convenience? And are you intentionally following his teachings in that way? Friends, the fact of the matter is we're all disciples of someone or something, and unfortunately, I think we've been more faithful disciples to that someone or something than to Jesus. Which is why, over the next four weeks, we are gonna spend some time recalibrating our lives to the way of Jesus. Recalibrating our lives. You know, like, uh, like thermometers and scales and uh, radar speeding guns need regular recalibration to be accurate, so does our faith and our relationship to Jesus. And you know, it doesn't matter if you've been a follower of Jesus for 80 years or eight days, we all need this regular recalibration. In order to be a faithful disciple of Jesus, we need to regularly be reminded what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So take a look at these two definitions. This is what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is someone of Jesus, is someone who is following Jesus, being continually changed by Jesus, and joining him in what he is doing in the world together with others. So that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, then this is what it looks like to act as a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus gathers, grows, gives, and goes together with others. So for the next four weeks, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna recalibrate our lives to the way of Jesus by discovering and pinpointing the ways each and every one of us have strayed from the way of Jesus, own up to that string, uh, and then intentionally choose to follow Jesus and accept his invitation to be both his disciple and a disciple maker. Sound good? Okay, Uh, so let's get started by recalibrating our practice of gathering together. When it comes to gathering together, I wanna highlight three different ways that Jesus showed us how to gather together. He showed us that we are to gather regularly, intentionally, and in unity. So let's start with the first point, which is to gather regularly. I don't know about you, but when I read the Gospels, it it seems like Jesus is always gathering with other people. In fact, if you have your Bibles, we're not gonna show anything on the screen um, for this passage, so if you have an analog Bible or a digital Bible, I'd love for you to flip open to Mark chapter two, Okay, because we're gonna quickly run through a bunch of scripture and I want you to see what's happening here. So if you have a phone or a tablet or or whatnot, just open up the Bible app or open up your paper Bible and, and go to Mark chapter two. I'm gonna start from verse one. Okay, Mark chapter two, verse one. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home Okay, so Jesus was at home, and so many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. Okay, just imagine if so many people gathered in your home that there is no more room in the doorway, and spilling out into your front steps or into the hallway of your apartment or a condo, like just, it's just packed with people. Okay, so that's what that is. That's what this looks like here. And then let's flip to verse um, 13, or go down to verse 13. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him. Okay, so he wasn't by himself. Again, the whole crowd was coming. And And then in verse 18, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, right? Not a person, but people came and asked him, another group of people, And then in verse 23, on the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields and his disciples, not a disciple, but disciples began to make their way. And then you see later on in verse 24, the Pharisees then end up there too. And then in chapter three, verse one, Jesus entered the synagogue again. So there's presumably going to be other people there. And then in verse seven, Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea and a large crowd followed from Galilee, and a large crowd followed from Judea, Jerusalem, and it just keeps on going on and on and on. I don't know about you, but when I read this, it's like Jesus is party central. Right? Jesus must be this huge extrovert that everywhere he goes, people follows, and he's just constantly with other people, never alone, ministering to the crowd. So is that what we're called to do? Like, maybe this first point should be that we are to gather continuously with others. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Is that the way of Jesus? No, it isn't. As much as it might seem like he did, Jesus didn't actually gather continuously with others. He gathered regularly, and there's a difference. If you were to look continually look through the gospels you would see that there are also many times when Jesus was alone take a look at luke 5:16 yet he often withdrew right he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed and then in mark 6:31 he said to them come away by yourselves right he's not just doing this himself but he's inviting others to the same way Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. And then in verse 46, after he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. So as you can see here, Jesus didn't gather continuously, nor did he neglect to gather. He gathered regularly. And as a result, the early church followed the way of Jesus by doing the same thing. Look at Acts 2.46. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. And in Acts 5.42, every day in the temple and in various homes, they continue teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So just like the early church gathered regularly, we need to recalibrate our lives to do the same. Now you might be thinking, okay Daniel, so what does this look like today? in 2022 and beyond in Greater Edmonton. Like, does this mean I'm supposed to quit my job and, and move to west or southwest or, or Far to Lose or Bonnie Dune campus and, and just live here all the time? right? Surely, Daniel, you're not talking about that, right? And, and you're not talking about, but about like daily gathering together with my small group or with my mid-sized community or my alpha table or support group or small circle. Daniel, you're not talking about that, right? And surely you're not saying that I should just shut everyone else out and only connect with those who follow Jesus. Right? You're, not, you're not talking about that here, right? Daniel, do you even know how busy I am? <laughs> like, you know expensive gases? You want me to gather daily? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Gathering regularly today means gathering regularly to grow, give, and go. So when we gather today like regularly like we are doing today, like this, to worship our King Jesus, here's what's happening. We're not just passively getting into the car or getting on a bus and and coming here or to one of our campuses. No, this is This is actually a very active act where we are actively recalibrating our thoughts, our actions, our lives, our priorities to the way of Jesus. That's what we're doing here. It's not passive sitting back, but we are actively, regularly, Recalibrating our lives to the way of Jesus through worship. So, friends, um, we need to regularly worship together. And you know, we need to regularly hear one another sing to the King. Because there are some moments where we can't sing. We don't have the strength to worship. We don't have the strength to utter or share the words or sing the words that are on the screen. So, we need to hear. Not in isolation in our homes. We need to hear together with other people. Hear our brothers and sisters sing to our king. We need to regularly gather to hear the word of God preached. We need to regularly gather to study the Bible with one another and to pray together and to partake in communion with one another and encourage and hang out with one another and share life with those who are spiritually asleep and give to the church as an act of worship and as a declaration that everything that we have is not actually mine. It's all God's. So we're giving back to him. We need to regularly go and serve with others as Christ showed us to do. Why, right? Why are we to regularly do this? Because this is the way of Jesus. This was his way as modeled by the early church. Friends, this is the way of gathering and the way of Jesus. And today in 2022, this looks like regularly both gathering together at a Beulah campus on the weekends and gathering in a Beulah community midweek. Not either or, but both and, because both environments play a vital role in recalibrating our lives to the way of Jesus. Well, the second way that Jesus showed us how to gather was to gather intentionally. I'm currently reading through the Gospel of John in my daily time with Jesus, and, and this past week, I was reading through a passage that I've read many times, John chapter six and the feeding of the 5,000 and and when I was reading through it this week, um, this week in particular, something stuck out to me and it was the intentionality of Jesus. I wanna show this to you starting from verse five. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And then Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Isn't it interesting how Jesus intentionally doesn't send the people away? I mean, I I think if the disciples got their way, everyone would have gone home, right? I mean, imagine how tired they must have been and and Jesus had just healed so many people, so he's probably like, guys, come on, you just saw and experienced and received the healing of Jesus, now you want him to feed you? Come on, can't you be grateful? Just go eat yourself, like if the disciples had their way, I think that would have probably been their Opinion, so Philip kind of maybe like nonchalantly goes to Jesus and he reminds him, he's like, hey Jesus, you know, like there's a lot of people here. And if we were to feed everyone, I mean like 200 denarii, which we don't even have Jesus, 200 denarii wouldn't even come close to feeding everyone. Now we don't exchange money today in denarii, so or denarius, so, so what that actually, what that was worth, um, if you were a day laborer, you would have earned one denarius a day. Like that's, um, that's typically how much you would have earned. So 200 denarii would have been eight months wages. So just think about that. Can you imagine spending eight months of your earnings on a single meal? Like that's Crazy. that's how significant this miracle is so Jesus but Jesus here didn't want to send the people away he wanted to very intentionally do something and you know what the intentional thing that he wanted to do was not feed them he did feed them as we'll see but that wasn't the intentional thing that he wanted to do so take a look starting from verse 10 Jesus said have the people sit down There's plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed to them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers, it's crazy, so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Did you catch the reason, the intentional reason that Jesus wanted to gather people together? It was to give them a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Sure, just like Moses, God used Moses to feed the Israelites in the desert, and Jesus then fed the Israelites in Galilee Jesus here wasn't just repeating the miracle that God did through Moses. He wasn't just providing them with food. No, Jesus here wanted to give them a foretaste of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that he was ushering in through his life and presence on this earth. The kingdom of God where you won't just have what you want or need, but where you will always have more than you want or need. The kingdom of God where you will experience contentment, satisfaction, and peace. The kingdom of God where you will be living in awe and in wonder over one thing after another. The kingdom of God where there will be no more death and pain and sickness and cancer or tears, the kingdom of God where we will be experiencing constant joy. Jesus here, through this miracle, wanted to give everyone a foretaste, a glimpse of the kingdom of God that was to fully and finally come one day. Now to be honest though, Uh, there are many times where I actually resonate a lot more with the complaining disciples here than with Jesus. There have been so many times um, throughout the years where I didn't feel, I didn't feel like gathering together with my group or my mid-sized community. And this is both when I was a member of one and when I was a leader too. And, and it's not because I didn't like it, I love my group that I'm currently a part of and, and I love the groups that I've been a part of in the past but whether it was a migraine or just a long week and the stress that I felt from it or, or maybe just fatigue or maybe I just wanted to be alone and I just wanted to read or I wanted to hang out with Christina and the kids, instead of being with other people. For some reason, I I found that I was always able to come up with an excuse. (laughs) Anyone else really good at making excuses? Come on, I was was pretty honest there. Yeah, like, yeah, like... (laughs) Here's the thing though, Um, every single time I managed, I didn't, I wasn't always... successful to convince myself, but every single time I managed to convince myself to, to kind of lay that excuse aside and go, every single time, I'd always leave the group filled with joy because I had a foretaste of the kingdom of God, because I saw God move, Maybe it wasn't during the whole time, but maybe it was that prayer time or that one particular discussion or something in the scriptures that popped out. And I was always so glad that I went. Friends, when Christ is at the center of our gatherings, regardless of the location, we will experience a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Now you might be sitting here and you're like, Daniel, but you haven't been to the groups that I've been a part of. Like if that, was a foretaste of the kingdom of God, I don't want any part of the kingdom of God. So let me just repeat what I said, okay? I didn't say every time we gather, we experience a foretaste of the kingdom of God. I said when Christ is at the center of our gathering. Christ isn't always at the center of our gatherings. But when Christ is at the center of our gathering, that's when we'll experience a foretaste of the kingdom of God. That's when we'll see, feel, experience, and know, and know the power and presence of Jesus. So this upcoming fall, um, what does it look like for you to gather intentionally together with others? More so than you've been doing in the past little while. And I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, I used to do that and, and COVID's kind of disrupted that. So, so coming into this fall, going into this fall, what does it look like for you to start gathering again regularly and intentionally with others? What would it, be, what would it look like to recalibrate your calendar so that what we are doing right now, regular worship at one of our campuses, is something that you do with intentionality. Like we, we, all, we all set appointments on our calendars and our agendas, right? We have dates and birthdays and different things that we'll put in to remind ourselves. What, what would it look like this upcoming fall to put regular worship at your campus, at this campus, at the time that you usually attend as a regular recurring appointment? And if you're not in a Beulah community, what would it look like to go out at the end of the service, talk to someone at the Welcome Center, or pick up, you know, grab one of the Connect cards in front of you and and fill out Beulah community, I wanna learn more about and hand that in so that you can join one this fall. Friends, when we recalibrate our priorities, both regularly and intentionally, both on the weekends and midweek, we're gonna see, feel, and experience the power and presence of Jesus in a greater frequency than we've ever experienced before. So yes, Jesus showed us how to gather regularly and intentionally, but he also showed us how to gather in unity. Hey, have you ever uh, talked about politics at work or at an extended family gathering? Have you ever like, been so brave or courageous or, or stupid enough to do that? like how'd that go for you or or, or maybe it wasn't politics maybe it was a conversation on human sexuality right or race or immigration or masks or vaccines or women's concerns right like have you ever done that like how did that go for you it was probably pleasant right like so peaceful, everyone understood each other, we were all giving each other the benefit of the doubt, right? Right, like that's how it is, right? No, not at all, right? There was probably anger and frustration. Maybe there is more passive aggressiveness than anger in some families and more others than the others. Regardless of how it went, you probably felt the tension in the air. Maybe there is some anger and outrage and, and, and there, maybe there's some outbreaks too in that setting. Oh, in that same sort of gathering, have you ever had a conversation about the church and about Christians? How did that go? Was it similar? Or was it different? Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of this message, um, there's a lot of division in our culture today. There has been, but even more today, it just seems like it. And, And it seems like there are some people who just like to stir the pot, right? Like they generally, you generally agree with each other, but they just like poking the bear for some reason. And it just gives them a rush for something. You know? and, 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 you know, we have these people and there's so much division in and of itself. And then you got people liking to poke the bear. And, and if this is so common in our culture and our society today, I mean, shouldn't the church be different? Like shouldn't Christians be different? Like you can't, expect our culture to live according to the way of Jesus, but shouldn't Christians be different? But unfortunately, over the last couple of years, we've seen that that hasn't been the case. No wonder in John 17, Jesus says what he says. Take a look at this, starting from verse 20. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Friends, Jesus here is praying for the church. He is praying this for you and I. He had 2022 in mind when he said this when he did. He was praying this for us. He was praying that we would be unified just like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are unified and completely one. He was praying that we would gather in unity and that we would be whole. He's, he's, he's not praying that our own individuality would be erased away. Let I me mean, just consider how uniquely God created each and every one of us if you just reflect on the uniqueness of our fingerprints, right? So he's not praying that we would indi- our individuality would be erased. Rather, he's saying, friends, our focus needs to be on the whole, on the whole that we are a part of making up rather than just on the individual parts like our culture says, where individualism individualism and the individual is chief and the priority and the focus, he's saying, no, we need to focus on the whole Jesus is praying here that we, as a church, would gather in unity as one. That he's praying that we would be one in mission, one in love, one in purpose, one in action. That our focus would be on abiding in Jesus and resting in him, keeping our eyes on him. That we would be known throughout our entire world as people of faith, hope, and love. Because we focus on the essentials rather than the non-essentials. He's praying this because he knows how powerful of a witness this would be to a divided and outraged world. Just consider what the theologian D.A. Carson says about this. This unity, the unity is meant to be observable. Observable, it's not achieved by hunting enthusiastically for the lowest common theological denominator, but by common adherence to the apostolic gospel by love that is joyfully self-sacrificing by undaunted commitment to the shared goals of the mission with which Jesus' followers have been charged by self-conscious dependence on God himself for life and fruitfulness. Have you ever been with a group of people and, and you just there's just so much tension because you can't agree with each other? And maybe you've gotten to the point where you're like, well, let's agree to disagree, and it feels like peace, but it's not actually. You just feel kind of this underlying angst every time you're together, and, 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 and you tried, and you still want to try again to bring about agreement, not compromise, because compromise, like, both people kind of lose out. I'm talking about agreement where it's like full-on agreement where we're fully on the same page, Right, and you've been working toward it, striving toward it, and have you ever been going at that for so long and finally you're on the same page and, and there's just like this, what just happened? And and there's this peace and there's like you can, the air is cleared up and, and you can finally breathe because you're like, yes, well, we, we actually agree. You know that feeling? Imagine if, That's how your coworkers and family members and neighbors and classmates would feel every time they thought about the church. Every time they thought about you and Christians. Imagine if that was the reaction. It wasn't, oh, the church? No, it was actually, oh, the church, yeah. Oh, you follow Jesus? Wait, what is that all about? Like, I've been hearing Other people follow Jesus, what is that about? And that was their reaction, it wasn't a oh, okay, how do I change the topic as fast as I can? Jesus is saying here that when we gather in unity as one, when we agree on the essentials, allow freedom to be in the non-essentials and allow love to be demonstrated in our all and in our everything. When we live in that way, people will start waking up. The unbelieving world will start believing. In other words, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that our first witness are our actions. Now our actions aren't our only witness because we are still called to proclaim the gospel in word and, in word and, and share the gospel and, and declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. Yes, we still need to do that, but what Jesus is saying here is that our unity and our actions in that unity are actually our first witness to this divided and unbelieving world. So do your actions point people to Jesus? Are you one person when we're gathered together like this at the church and a whole other person when someone cuts you off? <laughs> you know, are you one person, like do you, do you, do you love your enemies or, or do you just love those who love you back and can do something for you? Are you slow to speak, slow to anger and abounding in love or are you quick to judge, easily angered and abounding in opinions? Are you following the way of Jesus or the way of this world? I don't know about you, but um, I'm a Star Wars guy. Now, I know there's like Star Wars people and there's like Star Trek people and everyone else is like, you guys are a bunch of nerds and geeks. Uh, but I'm, I'm a Star Wars person. And a couple years ago when The Mandalorian came out, I was so excited. Like, I can't tell you how excited I was when this series came out. Like just like my childhood coming back and then you got Ahsoka Tano making an appearance and then you got Baby Yoda and you got Boba Fett, like everything and the Mandalorian's armor is just so cool. So actually, if you were to, um, you might not be able to see this, but my pop socket is the Mandalorian (laughs) and Baby Yoda. Like that's how much I like and uh, I I enjoy the Mandalorian, all things Star Wars. But you know, I share this because um, it's, There's something interesting that happens on this show. When the Mandalorian does something that's very Mandalorian-esque, he says, this is the way. And when the Mandalorian is with other Mandalorians and they're kind of saying hi to each other, uh, they say, this is the way. And they just have this phrase where they just keep on saying, this is the way, and they're reminding each other, this is the way, this is the way. Friends, what would it look like if we were to remind each other of the way of Jesus in that same way. And when we caught one another doing something that wasn't of the way of Jesus, where we would actually have the courage to look the other person or text them and say, this is not the way. And then conversely, when we see someone living according to the way of Jesus, we're like, this is the way. You know, after the service yesterday night, um, Pastor Michael came up to me and he was like, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. I was like, what would it look like if we were to actively remind ourselves of the way of Jesus and disciple one another toward his way rather than the ways of our culture? So Beulah Church family, in light of that, may we be a people this fall and ongoing that gathers regularly, intentionally, and in unity. May this be our first priority on the weekends and in the midweek. Because when we do this, not only will we be reminded and experience and be able to get a foretaste of the kingdom of God, but so will everyone around us. They will start tasting the kingdom of God through our unity. And us living according to the way of Jesus, amen? Amen. Let's pray. So Father, we own up to all the ways that we've strayed from your way. And we accept your invitation and call to live according to your way, the way of Jesus, the way of gathering regularly, intentionally, and in unity. So may the way of the Lord Jesus Christ, the way of the Father, and the way of the Spirit be with you. That grace of our Lord Jesus, may that pervade your words, your actions, your all, your everything, the love of the Father. May that well up in your heart for all those who disagree with you. And may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, reminding you of the way of Jesus through his power and presence. Thank you, Lord. We need your help. We need your guidance. And we need your grace. We need you to go before us. Thank you for showing us the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.